On this episode of the B-Signal Podcast, I talk about Nope, why Batgirl won't be coming to theaters or HBO Max, and all things Comic-Con. Welcome to the B-Signal Podcast, the podcast where filmmakers and fans talk about film and how it impacts our lives. I'm your host, B. Anthony. And now our feature presentation. Welcome to the B-Signal Podcast. I am your host, B. Anthony. Thank you for tuning in, for checking out another episode. Thank you so much for all the feedback and love that you've given me. I was recently thinking about my favorite directors, you know, uh, who inspires me when it comes to filmmaking. The immediate names that come to mind um, in the beginning uh, was Tim Burton, because (laughs) Batman, of course, uh, and Batman Returns, Uh, by far. Uh, no one, in my opinion, has really, uh, when, when it comes to adapting superheroes, maybe Nolan, maybe Nolan, but Burton was the one who kind of set the model for how to do it. Um, Burton and Richard Donner, because you have to acknowledge for what Richard Donner did for uh, Superman. So I think those two directors in particular really laid the framework or the groundwork for um, how to adapt these amazing stories, right? So um, Tim Burton, definitely. Brian Singer, uh, because when I saw X-Men, that definitely just had a major impact on me and watching how he put that whole first movie and second movie together um, on those DVD extras was phenomenal for me. Um, John Singleton, um, F. Gary Gray, for me, The Negotiator, um, Set It Off, all great films. Antoine Fuqua, no one does action like um, Antoine. And, you know, the fact that he did that Shantae Moore video will always just blow my mind. Um, He's really been in the game for a long time. Um, but out of all those names, uh, which filmmakers are the ones that really, really um, inspire me? And out of all the names that I've mentioned, and it's not downplaying any of those directors, I still study their work and I'm still um, intrigued and enthralled with what they've done and what they are doing. Um, if I had to pick my ultimate list, it would be Robert Townsend, um, Tyler Perry, Barry Jenkins, and Jordan Peele. Those are the filmmakers for me right now that are really like inspiring me. They they motivate me not only to make films, but to do it in an original way. Robert Townsend, you know, from Hollywood Shuffle to Meteor Man to my favorite comedy of all time because it consistently makes me laugh like I've never seen it before, Jackie's Back. Um, He, to me, does a great job of telling stories his way and I had the opportunity to hear him talk um, at a film conference and his presentation forever changed my life. So Robert Townsend will forever be in the conversation for me. Um, Tyler Perry, because he went outside the system And despite how everyone talked about his films and, you know, told him how he should do it, he stuck with his guns, right? And he made movies the way that he wanted to make movies. And it paid off in a major way. So I'm inspired by that. 
um, Barry Jenkins. So Barry Jenkins, along with Jordan Peele, they're kind of in the same category for me in that um, I'm able to really see their progressions um, as filmmakers, right? So um, Barry Jenkins went from Moonlight, If Bill Street Could Talk. Both of those films, of course, were received very well. And there are two different types of stories, but he's a masterful storyteller, right? He's He draws you in to each character. Um, and the way his films look, they each film has a distinct look. And I appreciate that about Mr. Jenkins. Um, Medicine for Melancholy, though, I didn't see that film until after I saw the previous two that I just mentioned. And like, it's just amazing to see the evolution um, of all of his work, you know? I enjoy it, I love it. And, you know, I'm just inspired by it, right? Then you have Mr. Jordan Peele. Um, like Mr. Jenkins, both of them are three films in as far as features. And what sets Jordan apart for me is that he's very intentional with not only telling original stories, but he does it in the horror uh, movie space. And to feature black characters in horror, um, and to do it in a way where, you know, he's putting his message out there, he's putting out ideas and concepts and themes that we really don't get to see with black people. I, I'm excited. Um, when I saw Get Out in theaters, it was just well done. There, there's, there, there of course was the overt conversation about uh, racism and, and ignorance and all those horrible things. But the way that he executed it um, was done in a way where it's just like, wait, are you trying to, are you trying to like, not only entertain me, but educate me and, and inform me and, you know, address so many things that we as a people have endured um, while scaring me like that? That's, that's something, you know? Um, us, on the other hand, I kid you not, and <laughs> this is gonna sound funny, but, I've only seen Us one time, and that's when I went to the theater with my friend Keith. Hey, Keith, I hope you're doing okay. Um, I saw it with Keith, and that film literally just creeped me out. Uh, Lupita did her thing in that. I maintain she should have gotten an Oscar nomination and an Oscar for that performance. Um, the whole film is just creepy and eerie and, like, weird and like scary. The actor who plays uh, the daughter in that movie, it is just something to see <laughs> um, how the tethered versus the actual family. If you haven't seen Us, you should go see it one time. To me, that movie was just, was just scary, you know? <laughs> and it took me a minute because I could not, uh, I remember seeing the movie, I saw it in uh, AMC theater, and um and um on uh wisconsin avenue at gallery place or gallery plaza maza gallery plaza i'm sorry and i just remember like really being freaked out and not being able to sleep for a while that's how weird that movie was like even looking at this poster now 
like this was the one where I felt like he was really onto something. And the messaging is really more layered here. You're probably going to have to see it more than one time to get everything that he was trying to say or express. But, you know, overall, I think that movie did what it was supposed to, um, which was scare the crap out of you. Um, I know it scared the crap out of me. Then we come to his latest release, Nope. Nope is, I think I'm gonna say it, I think it's my favorite film of the year. I keep going back and forth between everything, everywhere, all at once, and Nope. I don't know, I'll have a definitive answer in December, but the, the beauty, the scope, and the simplicity of Nope um, just worked very well for me. In my opinion, the best way to see this movie is on an IMAX screen, all right? It's, it's just, it, it fits the story so well, right? Because you're looking up in the sky and the, 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 the height and the way that certain things happen, you appreciate it more seeing it um, on an IMAX screen versus seeing it on a traditional screen. Okay, but if you see it on a regular screen, that's not the end of the world either. So, now that I'm seeing it on the IMAX screen, I'm more in tune with the story. So, uh, the story begins uh, with a monkey um, on set and something horrible clearly has happened. The monkey is bloody, you know, and people are laid out and, you know, things are just bad right now. I don't know what's happening. I know that, you know, people are dead <laughs> and it is just the strangest thing um, to see. Um, then it shows the Haywood Ranch, um, which is a ranch where uh, horses are, are trained for Hollywood uh, productions to just give you an overview of what's happening. So Daniel Kaluuya's character, OJ, uh, is in talking to his father, Otis, played by the wonderful Keith David. By the way, when I saw Keith David was in this movie, I was like, I wonder why, or I wonder if this is why they killed off his character in um, Greenleaf. Because it just, I don't know, I just felt like that choice was very interesting when I saw it, but um, I don't know. That one probably has nothing to do with the other. But when I saw uh, that he was in this movie, I was like, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's Bishop Greenleaf. Um, so uh, O.J. Haywood is talking to his father and, you know, they're talking about, you know, how they have this job coming up. Da, 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 da. And as they're talking, things just start flying or shooting down from the sky. Long story short, something hits Papa Haywood, he dies, and, you know, we that kind of jumpstarts the movie and transitions into uh, OJ now being the main guy for Haywood uh, Horses, and he's working with his sister, uh, Emerald. And, you know, at this point, you've probably seen the, this portion where 
uh, they're giving the presentation about Haywood and you know how their uh, legacy is linked to the first motion picture uh, featuring the black man on a horse, and they claim that you know their uh, that's their great 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 grandfather <laughs> um, on that horse. So anyway, um, from there. Uh, you understand that Haywood Ranch is in trouble because since the father died, they haven't been able to keep things up. Um, and so to make things work, uh, Stephen, I'm sorry, OJ meets up with uh, Stephen Yoon's character, uh, Ricky Park, um, to sell his horses uh, to Ricky to make sure that, you know, the family farm stays afloat, um, blah, 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 blah. In the midst of this, uh, you learn a little bit about Ricky. Uh, he was a childhood star who experienced a horrible thing with uh, Gordy, the monkey that was featured in the beginning. So they explain everything that happened there. Um, then transition back to the Haywood fa uh, farm. And that's where all the weird stuff starts happening <laughs> with uh you know, horses being picked up in the air by clearly what is being teased as a flying saucer. Great. So at this point, I'm like, okay, everything looks beautiful, right? Um, the, the best part about this movie for me is the cinematography and the acting. The performances are just top tier. Um, Daniel Kaluuya really... He doesn't have to say anything, but he conveys so much. But Kiki Palmer playing opposite of that, and she's giving you all this, you know, extra and drama and just everything is just, whoa, you know. I think she, normally I'm not a fan or I don't, her work is um, something that I don't normally gravitate to. And it's not because I don't like her or I don't necessarily have a problem with her. It's just that, you know, um, it's just not always something that I'm drawn to. But I felt like in this story, it worked perfectly. My favorite Kiki Palmer performance, believe it or not, is when she played Til uh, Chili in the TLC movie. Um, and I also liked her in uh, the Tyler Perry film, but I just realized that she's been working for a long time. So kudos to her. Um, she's definitely amazing in this movie and hopefully this will open up um, more doors for her. Um, so not gonna go through the move everything detail to detail about, nope. But what I appreciate, um, fast forwarding through the movie, if you haven't seen it, you should go see it. I mean, it's just really, really good. Uh, is Jordan Peele's original take on the sci-fi horror genre. Now, I'm not saying that he's the first to take this approach. Um, I'm not saying that he's the greatest uh, person to tackle this genre. But what I appreciate is that the execution of the idea, um, he finds a way to make it different, right? So uh, the big plot twist or one of the twists in the film is that the aliens that clearly are, are the big threat in the movie isn't done in a traditional sense that, you know, there's a ship and, you know, little green men are gonna come off the ship or, you know, uh, Independence Day style, uh, the aliens are gonna emerge and, and 
you know, attack or do anything like that. Um, the ship is the danger, is the predator, as they so describe. So literally, the spaceship itself is like sucking <laughs> horses up and eating everything that it that it sucks up. And the way that Jordan Peele teases that at the beginning is that he shows like this square thing where, you know, it looks like a suction of some sort. And and you figure out later on that in the beginning, he was give, kind of giving you a hint of what, what was happening, you know. Um, and he does that with all his films. Um, he kind of teases it out in a way where it's just like, yeah, um, so pay attention to this because this is going to pay off later on. Great. So um, get through the movie. Uh, some some things that uh, I love about it. I talked about the acting. Um, Michael uh, Wincott is in this movie. And I remember him from, I believe it was Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves. And I think he was the character, he was the character that the sheriff killed and he did the line about the spoon. And I, when I saw that he was in this movie and heard that voice, I was like, okay, this is, this is really, really amazing. Like, I thought he did a phenomenal job. Um, I also thought uh, the scenes where he was looking at uh, like the nature uh, documentaries and, and uh, the cinematography or the video footage of animals uh, kind of pairing up with what was actually happening in Predator um, eating other, eating this prey. Uh, I thought was extremely, extremely well done. Um, and Brandon uh, Pereira, he was funny um, as the IT guy. I, I really enjoyed him. Um, I do think that the one character that isn't getting enough credit um, throughout this entire movie, um, and it's really amplifying what I believe that Jordan Peele is trying to stress, is Stephen Yoon's. Uh, character of Ricky Park like I feel like what people aren't getting because I've, I've heard people say that they didn't get it or they felt like it didn't need to be in a movie you definitely needed this part to be in a movie okay so I mentioned about the monkey in the beginning right um just sitting there covered in blood or what have you long story short the monkey is triggered during the taping of the show that he's on um and, and literally ends up like maiming or killing the entire cast, except for Ricky. Ricky, um, who is the Stephen Yoon character, is the only one who makes it out alive. What he was saying in those scenes, and it's so important that people listen to it, is that, you know, Gordy, um, when that tragedy happened, um, it was something that was clearly traumatizing for him as a kid to experience. But he noted that people took that experience and profited off of it, right? And so he talked about the Saturday Night Live um, scene where, you know, the cast pretty much took that traumatic moment for him and is making other people laugh with it. And in that moment, he internalized it and that was his way to deal with his trauma. And, you know, taking these... Uh, 
these big moments, right, where something horrible um, and unexplained happens, but then spinning it so that you can make money off of it has kind of been his thing. And when he, you know, sees that this cloud is sucking up horses and he figures out the way to communicate and and kind of get, bring the cloud in on his park act, um, it was just something very, very interesting um, and coincides with what Jordan Peele said about the film being about spectacle and how we really process spectacle. And I just thought that was well done. I don't think uh, Steven Yeun is getting enough credit for not only how the part was um, executed, but the weight that it carried for the entire film. I thought, I just thought that was just exciting to see. And it doesn't get acknowledged enough the more where I hear people talking about it. Um, and then Jordan Peele himself, I, I, I he excites me because he's really bringing films back to a place where you can have like pure original ideas um, in a commercial space. Um, because this is, I think, one of the his films that have more of a bigger a scope to it. So like, even with this, like he's taking something big and, and you know, definitely out of worldly, but still infusing his energy into it. It just makes me excited to not only um, be in a space of making movies, but then like to know that you can, even in today's world that's dominated by like franchises and IPs, uh, you can still tell original stories. And for that reason, um, by the time I was done with Nope, I really felt satisfied. I did. Um, I felt like, again, seeing us as Black people doing things on screen that we normally aren't offered the opportunity to do, um, especially with sci-fi or horror, I think that's extremely cool. Like, And I hope more creators um, and filmmakers um, step into different genres um, and just put us in spaces that we don't normally get to see ourselves. And so um, if you have not seen Nope, I, I still didn't share all of the scares in the movie. Um, it is, a, 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 the beginning does start a little slow, but that's okay. I felt like you needed that to really fall in love with the characters um, and to understand just the atmosphere that uh, Mr. Pill was trying to set. Um, my favorite scene though in the entire movie is the uh, scene in the, uh, I believe it was the horse carriages or um, the stables, in the stables. Um, that was the scene where everyone literally like clutched their chair and was talking back to the screen. This man, every time I go see his films in the uh, theater, he always causes the audience to talk back to the screen and I'm here for it. Like literally uh, people were saying, nope, or uh-uh, or, you know, not not me, you know, <laughs> just those different types of moments. So if you haven't seen Nope, uh, you owe it to yourself uh, to go and just have a good time um, at the movies. Like this is the one to see on the big screen. So uh, go, have fun, enjoy, da 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 Okay, great. 
All right, let me take off my uh, Jordan Peele t-shirt, fanboy t-shirt, and let's talk about some other things that are happening in the movie business. Comic-Con happened, and uh, I just talked about on the last episode how I did Awesome Con, which is the DC version of Comic-Con. But to have Comic-Con back after a two-year break, to me, it was pretty cool. And it was cool to see everyone cosplay. Um, my favorite cosplay outfit was seeing someone dressed as the Deep from The Boys. If you have, if you are not watching The Boys, um, it is literally one of the best shows on TV right now. Good writing, provocative, very, very grotesque, but it's with meaning. And you, you once you think uh, the, 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 characters have reached their limit or peak of what they can do the writers find a way to really make them more dynamic so check out the boys it's really 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 good um but anyway there's a character so the premise behind the boys is just uh what if superheroes you know were problematic and like just flawed you know and we saw those flaws you know uh, and they make fun of, of course, DC and Marvel, and they, they poke fun at their heroes. So um, one hero on the uh, show is called The Deep. And of course, it's making <laughs> light of Aquaman and or Namor, you know, characters whose powers are water-based or they can swim. Anyway, um, on the show, The Deep, you know, he has sex with fish um, or, or sea life. So in season one, it was a dolphin. Um, and I forgot what it was on season two. Um, but then on this past season, it was just octopuses. Like he he just kept, you know, that was his thing this season. And so there was a scene where um, the octopus literally was like covering his um, private area. And so someone actually redid that outfit for Comic-Con. And I, I was surprised that they got it. Not only that they were able to do it, but they did it so accurately. Um, I just thought that was extremely, extremely um, not only cool, but just one of those things where it was just like, I can't believe I'm seeing this happen. Um, so Comic-Con is happening. With that in mind, uh, I my favorite highlights. Um, look, hate it or love it, Marvel just dominates. Just dominates Comic Con, and when I heard they were coming back, I kind of knew that no matter what they did, they were going to steal it. Um, and they didn't disappoint at all. Um, some of the highlights with their panel, as far as the film component and and some of the things they're doing with streaming wise. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is coming out. And I remember seeing this movie eight years ago now. I can't believe it's been eight years, but eight years ago and being pleasantly surprised. I loved the first one. And I remember just being like, oh my God, this is something special. Um, To know that I care about a talking raccoon and a tree that just says one thing. Um, And Chris Pratt, like... Zoe Saldana, I already love Zoe from Colombiana um, and a lot of things that she did previously. Um, she did Crossroads with Britney Spears, which <laughs> icon. Um, but, you know, 
the cast was just phenomenal, right? And Volume 2 was a great movie. I enjoyed that as well. But to know that this is the last one with this iteration of the Guardians, um, I can't wait to see what they're going to do. Um, I think Peter Quill needs to do one more dance-off. <laughs> I just, you know, seeing him dance against the bad guy in the first one, um, like, super amazing. So uh, we went from that to Ant-Man... Quant and the Wasp, uh, Quantumania, and that looks good. Um, you know, they made it very clear that uh, there's a new big bad. Mr. Majors is going to shut the Marvel Cinematic Universe down. And I, I can't wait to see, because the character that he's playing, I know a little bit about him, um, but because I'm more DC than uh, Marvel, I'm still educating myself on why this guy is, or why this villain in particularly is as important as he is. But um, John Jonathan Majors is just what what wrong can he do, you know? So uh, he's playing Kang. And uh, King the Conqueror, to be more specific. Um, I know he's a time traveler. I know he was at the end of Loki's uh, first season and that he's going to really cause a lot of drama for all these heroes. Um, so the way he looked um, energized on uh, at Comic-Con for Hall H, it was amazing. And I can't wait to see more of him. Uh, and then from that oh modok i'm excited to see modok in um quantum mania as well he's a cool villain um and i'm curious to see what his origin is and you know what all the tricks that he's going to pull off she hawk looks good um i'll probably check that out it has an ally mcbill feel to it um but the part where she's carrying the guy off <laughs> before they have sex to me it just made me laugh, and I can't wait to see what they do with that. Um, Secret Invasions looked okay. And he also announced what not only is happening in Phase 5, but then also Phase 6. Um, and, you know, he announced that, uh, he being Kevin Feige, I'm sorry, the main producer, um, more will be announced at D23. So I probably won't go into all the projects today until I see D23 to see what the full plan is. Um, I just hope they do the X-Men right. I'm not too excited um, about the direction they're going with with the X-Men, especially after watching Miss um, Marvel. I just rather for her to be an inhuman versus a mutant. But, you know, maybe they're going to do something to where she does go back to being an inhuman. Um, but that's neither here or there. I just want the X-Men and Fantastic Four to be done. Uh, to the best of their ability. But you knew that Marvel was going to win Comic-Con because they close out their entire panel with Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever. So getting ready to see this footage, I already knew that I was going to not be sad so much, but just it's just acknowledging that Mr. Bozeman is no longer here. Um, I thought it was cool that they opened that panel or that part of the panel with the, um, 
the musical performance uh, that they did, and it it did bring a level of joy. Um, but then Mr. Ryan Coogler and the cast came out, and hearing them talk, you can just you know tell that that was hard for them, especially knowing um, you know five years earlier they were in the same position um, showing the original film with Chad um, with Bozeman. And just seeing them comfort each other after they showed the trailer for Black Panther 2, um, you know, it was just all the feels. And speaking specifically about the trailer, the trailer looks good. The trailer um, definitely lets you know that whatever the story is or however they're arranging everything, it's going to be excellent. Um, you can't deny the talent behind Mr. Ryan Coogler. Um, and, you know, I love the first Black Panther, as did the entire world. Um, so now I'm just, I'm ready to see what he's going to do this time around with it. Um, Namor is in it. So that's pretty cool. The Submariner or Marvel's version of uh, Aquaman. I think even though... Um, the Submariner came first, so um, I guess Marvel calls dibs on that type of hero. <laughs> but anyway, everything looks good um, with Black Panther 2. Uh, the mystery of who is the new Black Panther. Um, if I had to guess, I probably think it's, it's uh, Shuri. But let's see, you know, uh, Marvel has a good way of changing up things to, you know, make it fit the MCU and not so much stay true to the comic book. Um, and then we go to DC. So from what I understand um, and from what I saw, they're banking a lot of things on what Dwayne Johnson is bringing to Super Pets and uh, Black Adam. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about DC right now. So the best thing they did this year, in my opinion, was Peacemaker. I, I love that show. That it just, it flowed, it was perfect. Um, John Cena, the entire cast was good. And James Gunn, the way that he produced it, wrote it, directed it, and, and all the other directors who worked on the other episodes, to me, it worked. I can't think of too many bad things to say about Peacemaker. So when I see this, I'm like, okay, great. Well, this is encouraging, right? And then they show the Super Bowl uh, commercial with all these properties coming up um, from the DC universe. I'm like, okay, don't know how I feel, especially if the Batman isn't part of the DCEU. How is that going to work? But you're trying to group it all together. All right, cool. I get it. It's the DC brand, you know, get the people excited. The Batman comes out and for me, it was just OK. It's not my favorite Batman film, but, you know, it's not horrible. It's just, you know, just OK for me. Um, then all the stuff starts happening with Ezra Miller, um, you know, Amber Heard and Things and by things I mean the films start getting shifting around as far as uh, dates and you know when are certain movies coming out. 
Um, so <laughs> then they, they decide to make a Batgirl movie, Blue Beetle. Um, and there are all these rumors, you know, hovering around how the DC films are going to move forward. And then fast forward to Tuesday. <laughs> We get this news blurb that DC is just canceling the Batgirl movie. Now, this is significant for multiple reasons. Um, one of the big draws of this Flash movie that probably won't come out now because I don't know what Warner Brothers is doing um, is that they bought Michael Keaton back. They bought Michael Keaton back to play Batman. Now, granted, I know Michael Keaton is not going to be doing everything that he was doing in 1989 or 1992 you know, uh, with the character. And I know that probably it was going to be a lot of stunt doubles or whatnot. But at bare minimum, the nostalgia would have been great to bring back uh, Michael Keaton in the Batsuit. Because of Ezra Miller's Allegedly, because of Ezra Miller's actions um, with, you know, his personal life and, you know, that kind of took everything off uh, schedule because they had to reorganize when they're actually going to show this movie. The way that they just canceled Batgirl lets me know that we're probably not going to see the Flash movie ever. Um, And that's unfortunate. And I think the saddest part about this is the 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 crew that worked on those films. Uh, when when you make a movie, like a lot goes into that, and whether you know you're a PA or all the way up to the director to the on screen talent, like you're devoting a large part of your time to making this stuff work. Um, from what I understand, this is also a game changer because um, normally, at bare minimum, if you don't want to release it theatrically, you can at least send it straight to video, right? Um, they're not even doing that with Batgirl. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, DC, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And the question is, not only what are you doing, but are you really considering uh, that you have a solid fan base that wants you guys to win. This is the problem with IPs, right? At one point, um, before, let me see, what, what would be a fair statement? I think before the MCU really evolved into the mammoth that it is today, and rightfully so, they like work hard to get to where they are. There was a point where you can make a comic book movie and, you know, the directors and the creative team, they had creative freedom to the to 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 the point of, hey, just make a good movie and, you know, don't 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 F it up for the most part. Right. (laughs) Um, Now, the studios because of the financial perks and they're seeing the potential of what these films can do. Uh, Warner Brothers specifically, I feel like they just changed up their 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 thing. They had a good thing going. Uh, 
I'll go back to the Nolan Batman films. When they made that first Batman Begins and they did that trilogy, it looked nothing like what Marvel was doing, right? And so then when they're trying to make their own cinematic universe, you know, in the beginning, and not to bring up, you know, the whole Snyder Cut or what have you, because I know that's very controversial right now, um, but at least with that Man is Still movie, what I appreciate is that they went the total opposite direction of what Marvel was doing. Now, I also understand that the goal of any movie for a studio is to make a certain amount of money. And so when those financial whatevers weren't met, you know, the studio panics and they start just doing random stuff, mainly messing with Snyder's picture. Um, and then, you know, having a falling out with Snyder and bringing in Joss Whedon when that didn't work. Now the DCEU is in a very interesting place. Um, and by interesting, I mean horrible because <laughs> they can't they can't galvanize the type of excitement that that Marvel has. Never mind the fact that for the most part, Snyder's version or the way that he was building out the universe, it had its fans, you know? And <laughs> whether the studio wants to admit it or not, um, there was something being built with what Snyder was doing. And when that changed, um, oh my God, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention, I did like the Shazam trailer. I thought that, I thought it was cute. Um, I love the line about family and Helen Miriam and, you know, the throwaway reference to the Fast uh, franchise. I thought that was cool too. Um, but anyway, they were building something that was their thing, right? But then studios got involved and say, well, no, we want to change things up. And, you know, a lot of decisions were made um, that now has evolved to where we are currently. Never mind the fact that DC did have some wins. Uh, don't forget that you had Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And Aquaman really should be something that they that should have motivated them to at least stick to their guns with their plan because um, that made a billion dollars, over a billion, I think. And so, I don't know. The business part of my brain um, says, I get it. You make these movies, you do all the marketing, and you have not reaped the financial benefits uh, that you want. You, you haven't made a profit or the profit that you wanted to make, right? But the other side is, while you guys keep making these changes and you're getting all these press bad press clippings, you have fans like me who genuinely love DC. And like, I get teased, <laughs> you know, by my friends who are like, yo, dude, why are, why are you really, like, you, you do know that movie's gonna suck, you know? And, you know, whether it sucks or not, I just love the brand. I love DC, I love what DC represents. DC Comics really is the whole, like, Greek mythology, godlike, 
um, characters um, that are larger than life, you know? Um, and I don't, I don't know if the studio gets that. Um, and if they do, I don't know if they understand that with each decision like this that they're making, that they really are alienating, alienating their friend, fans. Now, the other side is, you know, if they cancel everything or they literally cut off everything, say after Aquaman comes out and Shazam and Black Adam, if they opt to start clean, um, my question then becomes, what is to stop you guys from doing this again um, if things don't work out the way you want them to work out? And are you really listening to not even like the Snyderverse fans, but are you really, do you, do you even care? Uh, DC stands for don't care, right? Because that's the vibe I feel like they're giving um, with their fans. I feel like that they don't care about anything but the dollar. And as a business, they have that right. But what's the point of caring, of chasing the dollar if you're going to chase away the fan base that pays the dollar for that film? You know, um, I also feel like DC stands for, you know, doesn't commit. <laughs> uh, I, for the life of me, what I will say about the Snyderverse is uh, you guys knew what Snyder wanted to do and you signed off on it like you, <laughs> you, you, you said, OK, this is a good idea. Go ahead and make your movie. And you release Batman v Superman, and then all of a sudden you change plans. Like none of that was a surprise. So I, I, at this point, I don't know where the fault lies. I don't know who or or what changes need to be made. Let me do it that way, um, because they they've made so many changes where it's just like it's tiring to keep up with it all. And even if they start fresh, my my hesitation with DC is to get too involved or too committed. And then, you know, after you get committed, if something doesn't go right, you, you change it. Say what you want about Marvel. Um, and even on their worst day, right? Whatever you consider their worst film to be, Eternals. Um, <laughs> I feel like with all their product, they still find a way to let the fans know that they are invested and that they care. And I don't get that energy from DC or from Warner Brothers, I'm sorry, um, when it comes to DC. Um, they need a Feige. They need a Kevin Feige. I don't know who that is, uh, but they need someone who not only knows the movie business or how to you know, navigate these evolving times, but they need someone who understands comics and comic fans and the stories and who can translate those stories into cinematic masterpieces. So, um, yeah, RIP Batgirl. Uh, we'll see what happens. And again, it's not the end of the world, right? There are more important things going on. So I get that. But at the same time, um, just as a movie fan, you can't help but wonder, like, uh, what are they doing at Warner's Discovery? Um, 
And what is Mr. Zasloff going to do to help rebuild the, um, I guess, the confidence between DC fans and DC films? And I guess only time will tell with that, so... And that wraps things up for the Be Signal podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or have any comments that you want to share with me, uh, you can reach me on Instagram at Be Signal Podcast. You can also go to my website, beanthonycg.com. I will talk to you later. Bye.